you, Pastor Miltz. Good morning, everyone. Uh, like Milt said, I'm uh, Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome everybody that's uh, with us. Welcome everybody watching online. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, that's where we'll be today. But, but as you turn, I want to tell you, uh, a few weeks ago, I returned from an annual leadership cohort, made up some pastors from across the country, and we meet every year to encourage each other, support each other, and to talk ministry and discipleship, uh, usually in the mountains. So like not the most suffering for Jesus, um, but you know, uh, I'm saying it's really nice. I'm saying uh, it's good. Uh, but this past trip, I got to share with them all the great things that God is doing here at our CBC family, We're talking about the baptisms and the celebrations of salvation, uh, the new members that are joining us on mission, the new staff that we're adding that we're so excited about, and all the different things God's doing here. It's such an exciting and encouraging time. But as we shared excitements and encouragements, we also shared what some of the challenges were in ministry. And as you can imagine, uh, churches across the country were kind of walking through a lot of the same challenges. Um, some of them are sitting around like the identity issues uh, around gender and sexuality, politics, even family and vocation, rising mental health and anxiety concerns, the challenges to discipleship due to our busy lifestyles, competing social commitments, and not to mention the hurdles of the information age we live in, an avalanche of distractions, disinformation and distortions to our identity and our calling in Christ. But as we discussed all these challenges, we realized that under all these current cultural challenges was an age-old struggle. And it's centered around something we called autonomous authority. The idea that our, our culture preaches to us all day, every day, that at the end of the day, each of us has the right and the mandate to be the ultimate authority over our own lives. That as an individual, I call the shots over my life and I answer to no one but myself. And we've talked about this false cultural moment here at CBC uh, a lot because it's such an ingrained part of the world that we live in. And as we've mentioned before, and we will again, it's trumpeted in phrases in our culture like, follow your heart, you be you, live your truth, and so on. I kid you not, yesterday there was an ad online from McDonald's, and the ad encouraged me to celebrate my truth. So I guess maybe that's the gift with the new adult Happy Meals, uh, is your own truth. That's what comes with it these days. Anyway, it's the philosophy of autonomous authority. And it's shown in all the ways that we just talked about, that deep down we claim the role as the authority over every part of our lives. And we live today in the evolution of enlightenment thinking of the 17th and 18th century that said that we don't need a belief or a submission to divine authority, but that all we need to usher in utopia. Hey, David, I'm getting a little bit of that feedback up before. That all we need to usher in utopia, right, is humankind's uh, reason and logic and our own scientific discovery. We don't need God or his authority. Well, a couple years, a hundred years into that experiment, how's it working? How are you guys enjoying utopia these days? But seriously, today, instead of simply trying just to deny the reality and authority of God and look to science and reason, we've actually doubled down on humanity. 
and are looking even deeper within ourselves for an authority to lead us. Gender is no longer given to us by God or even shown to us in the evidence and science of the biology of our sex, but it's whatever we feel inside. Truth is no longer weighing the actual evidence and verifiable proof of what is happening in our world, but it's whatever our curated news feeds and cable news channels tell us truth is, designed to reinforce a view of the world that we already hold and we want to believe is true inside of us. It's being our own authority. It's literally as old as sin. Every time we choose to deny God, follow our hearts and desires, and act in contrary to God's holy commands, we commit sins of autonomous authority. I'm just living my truth. I call the shots. I'm the authority. So it would be fair, I think, to say we have authority issues. So what does that have to do with our message today? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're in a series called Reordered taking a look at the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus flips upside down everything about life, including our views of authority. And in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, we're going to see just that, shown through the authority that Jesus submitted his life to, the authority that Jesus himself holds, and the authority that we were meant to live under. And it will reorder, not just our view of authority, but everything about us, giving us a deeper hope and truer joy than we can find in ever living for ourselves or for this world. So let's read again, Matthew uh, 5, 17 through 20 together. It'll be on the screen. It's kind of small, but you can follow along. Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. And let's unpack this word together as we look at Jesus' view of Scripture, Jesus' view of himself, and Jesus' view of us. So, to begin, let's jump in. Verse 17. We notice here that Jesus starts this section with a correction. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, the law or the prophets was another way of saying the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. But why would he say that? Well, he knew that there were those in the crowd that thought he was doing just that, aiming to abolish the scriptures. They were accusing Jesus' teaching of denying God and turning people away from God's word and God's authority. It was the accusation in Mark 2, when Jesus' disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus used 
scripture to correct them and the true purposes of the Sabbath. Or in Mark 7, when the Pharisees condemned Jesus for not walking in the traditions of the elders concerning hand and utensil washings, Jesus rebukes them by quoting scripture. So here in Matthew 5, Jesus wants to quickly dissolve any false accusations that his message is a dismantling of or a deviation from the holy authority of God's word and scripture. In fact, the life and teaching of Jesus is 100% the opposite. So look with me at verse 18, where Jesus says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. So that iota is a reference to uh, the smallest of Hebrew letters, yod, similar in shape to like an apostrophe. So Jesus is saying, not only is he not abolishing the Old Testament scriptures, but he is affirming every last bit of them. There is not even the slightest of pen stroke to the entirety of God's word that is not divinely authored or divinely authoritative over him, and over us. He says that not only is every stroke of scripture authoritative over all things, it will outlast all things until heaven and earth pass away. Is Jesus saying that the word of God is so sure, so trustworthy, so powerful that it will last longer than even this planet? more sure than tomorrow's sunrise, more steady than the passing ideologies of mankind throughout the centuries, and more outlasting than the emotional roller coaster of a certainty that is our own hearts, is the lasting authority and timeless truth of God's word. This is how Jesus viewed scripture. And then to drive home the point, he presses it even deeper when he says, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. That word accomplished, as we might imagine, means projecting a purposeful action. Jesus is saying, God's word is not just an authoritative list of rules for how to live. It's not just a dusty, ancient textbook or collection of inspirational stories. No, it's moving, working, active, and pressing forward in its purpose in this world. The author of the New Testament book of Hebrews wrote it this way, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So how does Jesus view scripture? One commentator I read put it this way. Our Lord Jesus Christ in these two verses confirms the whole of the Old Testament. He puts his seal of authority, his imprimatur upon the whole of the Old Testament canon, the whole of the law and the prophets. Read the four gospels and watch his quotations from the Old Testament. You can come to one conclusion only, namely that he believed it all. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we see a life devoted to scripture, 
to knowing it, to abiding in it, to living it, and to proclaiming it. No one ever had a stronger view of Scripture than Jesus. No one held it more closely, obeyed it more fully, or lifted it up higher than Jesus. Because Jesus believed the Word of God is the Word of God. And he gave his life to full devotion and obedience to it. Jesus exemplified the fullness of Psalm 19, if you're familiar with it. It's an entire psalm as an expression of how wonderful, how rich, how crucial God's word is to us and how utterly hopeless we are without it. And Psalm 105, or Psalm 119, verse 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So Jesus knew and lived the truth of this word that walking this life in our own wisdom or the wisdom of this world was like sprinting through a dense forest with our eyes closed. And we let our fickle emotions inside of us be our authority or our own foolish wisdom when it leads us or the fleeting and passing ideologies and fads of our culture when they run our lives. It's like walking in darkness. And we are destined for failure in this life and the next. And so Jesus committed his life to the scripture and calls us to do the same. He was so committed to scripture and it ran so deep in him that we see Jesus when facing temptations of Satan in the wilderness overcomes the tempter by the power of scripture, specifically telling the enemy and us in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus considered consuming God's word as essential to his life as eating food. But perhaps what we see Jesus do at the moment of his greatest suffering shows his view of scripture the most beautifully. Jesus on the cross. When the weight of our sin God's holy wrath and condemnation against all the evil and wickedness of the world fell upon him, what poured forth in the most intense suffering anyone has ever faced? Scripture. Jesus quotes Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I heard a pastor once say, what comes out of you when you stub your toe in the middle of the night? Probably not a psalm. Probably some words that you and I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing in this moment at church on Sunday morning. Jesus poured scripture because he prized scripture. So we have to ask ourselves, what is our view of scripture? How essential do we think it is to our lives? But right now, I, I want to push aside for a second the, the, the guilt that we all have maybe feeling right now of, of knowing that we don't prioritize God's word enough in our lives. And so, yes, knowing and obeying God's word is a command, and we are accountable to it. But it's not just a command, friends. It's an invitation. God is inviting us into his very wisdom. 
his transcendent truth, to be set free from the slavery of ourselves, our untrustworthy hearts or the limits of our brain, and to enter into the heart and mind of heaven, to be lifted up to a wisdom above and beyond ourselves and the voices of this world, and to see God and with him all things in the light, truth, and wisdom we desperately need and only scripture provides. If you remember, God tells us in Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And in scripture, we are invited into those thoughts, into those ways, and to place all we are under the authority of it. Our emotions, our impulses, our intellect, our very lives, all surrendered in submission to the truth and the authority of God. Jesus thought it was essential. That was his view of scripture. And if Jesus needed it, how much more do we? So what about us? What is our view of scripture? Because I think Jesus will show us back in Matthew 5, when we share his view of scripture, we begin to understand the purpose of scripture. So go with me back again to Matthew 5 as we look at Jesus' view of himself. Back in verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So did you hear it? Jesus didn't say, I have not come to abolish, but to continue them or explain them or expand them. No, to fulfill them. Jesus views himself as the very fulfillment of Scripture, and so he is. But what does that mean? Well, it means way more than we have time for this morning. In fact, as the teaching team was discussing this week, uh, the impacts of this truth are so rich and so deep that the Apostle Paul would unpack them at length in his letters. But for our time today, we will say this, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of Scripture. I like how James Boyce puts it. He says, the Bible is about Jesus, and he is its fulfillment in all ways. He fulfills the moral law by his obedience, the prophecies by his specifics of his life, and the sacrificial system by his once and for all atonement. So I want to dive in a little bit on these three points together to look at how Jesus views himself. So let's look at these three together. First, starting with Jesus fulfills the moral law of the scriptures. So if you are here with us during our series on Exodus, we discussed when God gave his law to his people. So his law, by way of remember, is his, his, his holy commands flowing from his holy character, commanding his people to holy living. The law is good and it shows us the righteousness of God, his perfect moral character. But even though the law is good, we found out it only served to reveal to us our unrighteousness. 
the sin that shows in our unfaithful and unholy breaking of his good law. And the just penalty for sin and breaking God's good, holy law, condemnation and death. So what then is our hope in God's law? It's that Jesus didn't come simply to teach the law, but to fulfill the law. In every way, Jesus lived in perfect, holy, sinless obedience to God's law. He alone in all of human history can claim a life of complete righteousness or perfect moral character. The character that God and his law demand and deserve. Jesus lived a sinless life of righteousness under God's law. And again, what was the purpose of Jesus fulfilling those righteous requirements of the law simply to be our example? Well, that doesn't help. It still leaves us condemned under the law, guilty as lawbreakers. But the Apostle Paul helps us see what Jesus did for us. In Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it's a little small. Follow with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Paul is saying here that Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements that God's good and holy law demands so that those of us law-breaking sinners condemned to death may by grace trade with him. On the cross, Jesus became our sin, our law-breaking, and took the condemnation of death in our place, but he trades with us his righteousness, his perfect fulfillment of God's law. And he gives us his righteousness, his law-fulfilling, so that now we walk in the new life and new hope and eternal glory of that righteousness Jesus earned for us because Jesus fulfilled the law for us and in us. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul would say it this way in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Do you see, not only does Jesus' fulfillment of the moral law give us a new righteousness before God. It gives us a new relationship with God. Fully adopted and fully accepted as beloved sons and daughters. And that changes everything about us. And I think this passage here in Galatians might be the inspiration for William Cowper's poem when he writes this. 
to see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. So Jesus not only fills, fulfills the moral law of the scriptures, but he also fulfills the messianic prophecies throughout scriptures. There are literally hundreds of prophecies throughout the Old Testament concerning the promised Messiah, and only one person in all of history has fit all of them, and that's Jesus. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew makes, it very, makes very intentional efforts to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of the foretelling prophetic word concerning the Christ coming into the world. And it is only because Jesus is the fulfillment of messianic prophecy that he could save us from the curse of our sin and lawbreaking. And how? How did that promise messianic fulfillment accomplish our salvation? By fulfilling the atoning sacrifices needed to pay the penalty of our sin. The author of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us how the shadow of the law was meant to point to the substance of Christ. And one way is in how this law-keeping Messiah would accomplish our salvation as our atoning sacrifice for sin. Hebrews 10 says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, which is awesome, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus himself, our promised Messiah, was that once for all sacrifice. His life, his body broken, and his blood spilled for us. Our redemption through his rejection. Our life through his death the sacrifice that atoned for sin once for all. Jesus, the righteousness God's law demands, fulfilled. The promised Messiah, the scripture foretold, fulfilled. And the once for all, full and final atoning sacrifice for sin, fulfilled. This was Jesus' view of himself. <laughs> He not only upheld the authority of the scriptures, but that he fulfilled them. They are all about him. And this is abundantly clear throughout the gospel stories. Let me share with you some verses. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said this about himself, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. And the resurrected Jesus on the road to Emmaus said this, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with Moses 
and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And the same resurrected Jesus said this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus' view of himself was the fulfillment of the scriptures. So jumping back to Matthew 5, as we look at one more thing together. Jesus had the highest view of scriptures, as we see. Jesus viewed himself as the very fulfillment of those scriptures. But then Jesus turns his view to the crowds, a view of us. And he says this, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that your righteousness, uh, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So again, Jesus says the scriptures are indeed God's holy authority over all of us. And they command us to live lives of obedience to God and help others do the same. Jesus says it here. He doesn't compromise an inch on holiness and our need for it. And he says, did you get this? Our lives matter. How we live matters. That our lives are being taken into account. And there are consequences to how we live whether for the holiness and righteousness of God or the sinfulness for ourself, of ourselves. Because the standard we are measured against is not our own heart or our own mind's authority or what the world tells us is a good and meaningful life, but God alone, his word alone, is what we will be held against. Jesus views us. Literally, God is watching us and taking to account whether or not our lives reflect the righteousness we are called to and commanded to live in. Jesus views us desperately needing the righteousness of God. And then if that wasn't heavy enough, <laughs> Jesus drops this anvil that you see. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, not only are you and I in desperate need of righteousness, but also the righteousness required of us is far greater than we can even imagine. Not necessarily the most inspiration of motivational speakers at this moment. But for a moment... I actually want to have us imagine being there, being in the crowd, listening to those words coming from Jesus, what he just said. Because in that crowd, there's at least two groups, right? There's the scribes and Pharisees, and then there's everyone else. And, in G and Jesus, in this one statement, shows the utter brilliance and authority of his teaching. So Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Imagine you're a scribe or Pharisee in the crowd hearing this. 
all of your life has been built on an identity of righteousness and obedience. Fulfilling the law of God and adding extra laws of your own. (laughs) Externally righteous, but underneath a heart of sinful self-righteousness, believing that your good works make you worthy of God and better than others. Your whole life and world built around an identity of public righteousness. And before everyone, Jesus says, these guys aren't in. They're not enough. External righteousness stemming from an inward pride is not righteousness at all. So Jesus, as this like spiritual surgeon, cuts the Pharisees. He wounds them. He wounds their pride. He wounds their self-righteousness. He wounds their attempts at self-exaltation through their own achievements. But we know a good surgeon who is after our health has to wound before they heal. And friends, the gospel does the same thing. It has to wound us before it heals us. Because we will never be healed until our self-righteous pride is wounded enough to admit we need healing. We will never receive the grace of God until we're desperate for it. We will never bear the righteousness of Jesus until we abandon the righteousness of self. And we will never know the power of God's authority to save us until we surrender our authority in trying to save ourselves. But there's another group. Jesus was speaking before. It was the group of everyone else, (laughs) the crowd. Those who looked at the Pharisees and maybe believed that the Pharisees were actually righteous, that they were accepted by God, that the Pharisees were good enough, and thought, man, there was no way to be like them, let alone be better than them. And so Jesus, again, never once compromising on the holiness of God and accountability we're called to, wounds the Pharisees' pride, but presses a weight down upon the crowds. The weight of God's righteousness and how far they were from attaining it. Imagine hearing Jesus say, unless your righteousness hits a level you know deep down you can't hit, you won't have the hope of heaven you long for. Again, not the most motivational of moments, unless the weight, much like the wound, was meant to change us, to reorder us, to humble us, to stop looking at ourselves or anything in this world as a saving authority over our lives, that you, that I, need righteousness. We need mercy. We need grace. And we can't do it ourselves. We need God. Because the bar of holiness is too high to attain in our law-breaking hearts. So we need someone to fulfill the law for us. There are not enough lambs or goats or achievements I can make or sacrifices I can complete to cover the depths of my sin. So I need a once-for-all sacrifice to fulfill that need. And whether we're wounded in knowing our self-righteous achievements aren't enough or the weight of the righteousness required of us is pressing on us hard, we need a Messiah, a Savior, a Redeemer 
to fulfill God's promise to rescue us. So in this one statement, Jesus wounds and weighs because he was leading them to what they and what we truly need, him. The very fulfillment of the scriptures. Because Jesus views us not only as desperate for righteousness, he views us as beloved and worth dying for. Because like, like this statement here, Jesus would utter another statement a couple years after this hard word of wounding and weighing, but this word is a word of healing and freedom that he uttered from the cross. It is finished. The righteous requirements of the law fulfilled in the sinless life of Jesus, it is finished. Our redemption through his suffering as the atoning sacrifice for our sin, it is finished. And our Messiah, risen from the dead, victorious over sin and death, never to die again, sealing our eternal hope and glory with him, it is finished. It is fulfilled. Friends, let me ask you, what authority are you serving with your life? You listening to the voices and philosophies and motivational speakers or fast food restaurants of this world that are telling us to live our own truth, that we're enough just as we are? Or are you looking inside for hope and truth and redemption only God can give? The light for the path only God can shine through his word. And friends, are you searching for that righteousness, that perfect performance record? Are you searching for that righteousness that only Jesus has and that only he can give you through trusting by faith in his love and rescue of you? Right now, right now, you can know the freedom, forgiveness, the hope, and the joy that you've been searching for your whole life by surrendering to Jesus by faith. Give yourself to his love and his grace this moment, and by faith, be made righteous in him right now. Because as, we, as we're going to see as we go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in this series, Jesus is going to show the crowd just how high that bar of God's righteousness goes. And he's going to call his followers and us to abandon ourselves to our need for only what he can offer us, the righteousness that only comes by faith in him. And to start, Jesus is calling us to reorder our authority to Jesus, to God's holy scripture, and away from trying to define and save ourselves by looking inside us or around to this world. Instead, looking to our risen King and Savior alone. And to live in the life and joy and hope that only comes through Christ, our righteousness fulfilled. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child 
and duty into choice. Let's pray together. Lord, we know that for eternity, we will worship you and unpack the riches and depths of what you accomplished for us in the gospel. That even now in our most uh, overwhelmed and in awe moments, we are seeing just a glimpse of the greatness of who you are. So Lord, I pray for my friends in this room or online that are still striving to fight for their own righteousness in themselves or looking to this world to provide them life, that they would turn and look to you, Jesus, their righteousness fulfilled. And I pray for my friends here or online that do know you, that have given their lives to you. Lord, that we would take up the call to view the scripture the way you do, to view Jesus for who he truly is, and to view ourselves as children of the King, and to live radically different and shine like stars in the universe in this world that's so desperate for the hope of Jesus. And as we lift our hearts and voices to you, Lord, accept this worship as a fragrant offering. And it's in your name we pray.